Right, good morning everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, my name is Dave Everett. We're here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center and uh, we're just excited about getting to our message this morning. We're going to be talking about the four prayers of Paul again. We'll be on our fifth uh, lesson on this this morning. And so just so you know, all of our teachings are archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. We also want to say thank you to all those who have partnered with us with their tithes and their offerings. And you can do so if you go to our website, lighthousediscipleship.org, go to our give page, and you can give anywhere from the world uh, from that platform. You can also go to the bottom of every page in our footer, and we have our mailing address there where you can also send checks if that is your desire. And please make all checks payable to Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And so we thank you for that, making these teachings and this ministry available to, to all of you. We have people listening from all over the world, all over America, as well as Pakistan, India, Africa, and many Latin American countries as well. So anyway, we just thank you for uh, all of your support and all that. Again, all of our teachings are online. If you want to contact us, and we get a lot of people wanting me to contact them, call them, whatever, Go to our contact and go to our website at lighthousediscipleship.org and you can contact us there. We have our email there, we have our phone number there, we have a lot of different things there. I'm not going to take international phone calls, so please take uh, respect, just uh, let's connect, let's connect uh, by email. I don't connect to Messenger, there's a lot of reasons for that, uh, but I'm willing to connect. So if you want me to speak to your, 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 your area. I am willing to do that, but let's talk first. Uh, uh, we're going to talk first. I, I'm not just going to go blind into uh, uh, talking to some of these, uh, these people. But uh, let's talk first. Let's get a dialogue going between you and me. And let's do that through our website, through our contact page, or through our email. And then we'll go from there. Okay? So I'm not saying no. I'm just saying let's do it through the channel uh, I have asked. So anyway. Uh, anyway, uh, let's go ahead and uh, just so you know, we will have our Bible study tonight at 6 o'clock on Effortless Change by Andy Womack, and also uh, Wednesday night at 7 o'clock to Believe in Authority, also again by Andrew Womack. Without further ado, let's go ahead and get into our message this morning. We're talking about the four prayers of Paul. Now, I've titled this message to the four prayers of Paul, but Paul has prayed more than four prayers. I've said that many times. People still come up to me and say, You mean Paul already prayed four prayers? No. Uh, I've said it many times. Paul prayed more than four prayers. But there are four prayers that I have used a lot in my own life and also in ministry as a pastor. And these, and these are what I call his four primary prayers. Uh, that's just my opinion. That's just my terminology. Uh, there are some, some small little prayers that Paul prayed throughout his books, and I know in his life that there's more prayers of Paul. But in Scripture, uh, Paul, there's four prayers that, I, again, I have used in my own life and ministry on many occasions. Uh, and so uh, I, these are four prayers that I, I, I glean from. At the same point in time, I also believe that all of us in the New Testament, all of us as New Testament believers, are where we are today in our theology and our belief system because of Paul. Paul, who wrote more than two-thirds of the New Testament, we would not be where we are today without Paul. 
Maybe another pastor, a preacher, a minister, or evangelist preached the word of God, but they use most of them use Paul's letters to preach the gospel to us. Okay, they would not have preached what they preached without the letters of Paul, uh, and so, and so I thank God for Paul, who brought the gospel to us Gentiles and Jews all over the world. <coughs> Excuse me. So. And as Paul, the apostle of grace, the apostle who has brought the revelation of Jesus Christ to me and to you, he has prayers, and four specific prayers, that I believe that Paul is not just praying, but Paul is sharing his heart. He wrote these prayers out so we can glean from his prayers. I'm sure he prayed more uh, that he didn't write out, but he wrote these specific prayers. He specifically said in these four occasions, this is why I'm praying. Or, this is my prayer. And when I get that, the guy who, the man that God used to bring the gospel to us is sharing his heart. And I believe it behooves us to know the heart of Paul who is preaching the gospel to us. Okay? And with that in mind, as a pastor... I want you to understand Paul's heart. It's my heart for you to understand his heart. Okay? And so that's why we're going through these prayers. And there's one of the four prayers. Again, these are not the only prayers of Paul. People keep asking that. And Paul, they keep saying, did Paul only pray for four prayers? Well, in one sense, by people asking that, they haven't listened to anything I have to say. Because I keep saying it over and over again. Okay? But the four prayers that I have, that we are highlighting in this series, are, as listed here, Ephesians chapter 1. We spent the first two weeks of this series talking about Ephesians chapter 1. And Ephesians chapter 3, we spent the last two weeks on Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to spend the third week today on Ephesians chapter 3. And starting next week, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 1. And then the following week, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 1. I don't know how long I'll take in each one of those, maybe hopefully one week each. But uh, this is not a race, and so we will take it as long as we need. Okay? So, again, uh, the last two weeks we've been highlighting Ephesians chapter 3. Okay? Again, you can go to our website, you can go to our YouTube channel, and you can get our teachings on those how bad it has brought us to this point so far. Okay? So, with that. With that said, let's reread the, the second prayer of Paul that we are highlighting from Ephesians chapter 3, beginning with verse 14. And Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father, my Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. And to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Okay? So let me recap a little bit from the last two weeks. I'm going to hopefully do this quick, and then we'll get into today's uh, teaching. Okay, so I'll go a little fast, and but I also want to recap a few things. Not everything, but I, I just some highlights, hopefully. And then uh, we'll get into today's lesson as we conclude this 
uh, second prayer poem that we are, we are teaching on, okay? We spent the first hour on this, our third week in this whole series, uh, talking about, uh, expanding on this phrase for this reason. We actually went back to the beginning of the chapter, chapter beginning of verse 2, and we read uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 2 through 13, to expound on why he was praying this prayer, okay? Because we had to understand this phrase for this reason, okay? And in doing so, we looked at, <coughs> again, this is just a recap, we looked at how the revelation of God's grace was given to Paul to give to us. We talked about that. We talked about how we asked this question, what is being revealed now by the Holy Spirit? And what was being revealed, something that Paul has been, uh, let's go back for a second, something that God has, Paul has been revealing in this entire book, he revealed it in the first prayer, He's revealing it before the second prayer, and he revealed it even in, the, in the Ephesians chapter 2, in between the prayers. He's revealed that believers are not only united to Christ, but we as believers, we are also united to one another. See, as believers, we are a body that Jesus is the head, and the, the head is connected to the body. Anytime you have a body without a head, you have a dead body, okay? Jesus is also, God is also our Father. We are also a family, okay? A father is without a father, without kids, okay? And so we are a family. We are a unit. We are knit together, the Bible says, as a family of God, okay? And throughout these teachings and throughout all Paul's letters, for the most part, Gentiles did not become Jews. Jews and Gentiles became part of the body of Christ part of the family of God. Okay, we have been expounding on that. We're going to look at that and continuing. But we are looking at that. We're, everything we're looking at in these two prayers is based on this foundation. Because this, this is something Paul kept saying over and over again. And if Paul kept saying it over and over again, well, I think we need to listen. Okay? Uh, he who has ears, let him hear what the, what the Spirit is saying to the church. Okay? Paul was given this grace to preach us the unsearchable riches of Christ. We talked about that. We've been talking about that since the beginning of this message, okay? And the mystery God has invested to us is the riches of Christ. We've been talking about mystery. Paul's been talking, he talked about a mystery in Ephesians chapter 1. He talked about it in Ephesians chapter 2. He talked about it again here in chapter 3. He talked about it in Colossians. He talked about it in other, other letters of Paul. It's a mystery. It's a mystery to those who are not saved, but it's, it's revealed to those who are born again. And who is it revealed by? The Holy Spirit. And what Paul wants us to understand, as believers, as the family of God, as the body of Christ, as the church of God, God, what, Paul, through, God through Paul, wants us to understand this, ministry, this mystery. There's a mystery that God has invested into, into us, and it's called the riches of Christ. Okay? In other words, God wants everyone to see and understand and get the revelation and understanding of this mystery. Okay? There's many aspects to this mystery, but one of the main aspects of this mystery that Paul keeps telling us over and over again that we've been teaching on is that the church was a mystery in the, the, the church was a mystery in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, every detail of this mystery is intended to be fully revealed. What is that mystery? There's a lot of aspects of the mystery, but one of the things that we we expounded on from Colossians is a mystery which has been hidden from all ages, from generations, but now has been 
revealed to the saints to them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory. That phrase has been repeated twice in these two prayers and also here in Colossians of this mystery. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm going to reread verse 26 here. To them God will to make known. There's something that Paul, God through Paul wants to make known. What are the riches of the glory of this mystery? There's a glory of this mystery that is to be known among the Gentiles, among the church, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This mystery is Christ in us. Who's us? The family of God, the body of Christ, the church of God. God has invested something into his body, and that is Christ, the hope of glory. And where is Christ? Yes, he's on the throne, but Christ is omnipresent, and he's also inside of us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the house of God. We are the family of God. We are the people of God. We are born of God. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We looked at in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be known by the church to the principalities of power. We talked about this in the, in, in, in the heavenly places. The mystery of the church is to be fully revealed to demonic powers. Okay? The church is to instruct the demonic realm, the manifold wisdom of God. Where do we get that? Going back to verse 10 real quick. We, we are to, that we might, that the manifold wisdom of God might be known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. Okay? Let's go back forward. What is the wisdom of God? What is the manifold wisdom of God? Paul said in 1 Corinthians that, I'm not going to read all of this, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ, Jesus, is the wisdom of God. Where's Jesus? Inside of us, the hope of glory. Okay? And so, Christ has put all principalities and powers under his feet. We talked about that in the first prayer. We are the body of Christ. He's the head. And I don't know about you, but my feet are not attached to my head. My feet are attached to the... The, 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 they're on the bottom part of the whole anatomy of the body. If God has put all things under things underneath his feet, the head, he's also put under my feet are underneath the body. He has put all things underneath our feet. And where is Christ? In the body. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Okay? So God has put everything underneath Christ's feet, and we are the body of Christ. He has put everything underneath our feet as well. Okay? We don't have to fear the devil. The devil needs to fear us. But if we don't know who we are, if we don't know what we have, if we are trying to get God to do something when he has filled us with his power and with his glory, we're going to keep asking God to do something he's already done. Okay? The church is the body of Christ. Okay? We talked about this. And I keep hammering this in. Why? Because Paul kept hammering it in. Christ has put all principalities and powers underneath his church. Christ's church is the body of Christ, and the gospel is the wisdom of God. God is bringing everything together under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. These are, I'm just going through some notes that we talked about over the last few weeks. This has always been God's plan and purpose. And John said it this way, for he who sins is of the devil, but the devil has sinned from the beginning for the purpose of, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. God wants to destroy the works of the devil using the church, using his body. Okay? 
for the church to make known the wisdom of God to all principalities and powers is the eternal purpose of God. And God's plan of redemption was not announced about because of man's sin through Adam. Christ was slain from the foundation of the world. We talked about many of these scriptures. I'm just highlighting some things that we talked about over the last two weeks. And the plan of redemption was God's eternal purpose since the foundation of the world. We looked at several scriptures that highlights this point. Okay, And Paul mentioned this in, in, in Ephesians chapter 3 before he goes into this prayer. In Ephesians chapter, he says it right here, According to the eternal purpose of God, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with a confidence through faith in him. Because of the eternal purpose of God, we have boldness and we have access with confidence through faith, prayer in Jesus Christ. Okay? This was the context for what Paul was talking about in Ephesians chapter 3. And Paul was so blessed in God's presence, he could not allow others to be bothered by his imprisonment. See, when Paul wrote these things, he was in prison. And his followers of the church of Ephesus were concerned on his imprisonment. And Paul wanted to get their focus off of his imprisonment and get his focus on his presence. Get his focus on the word of God. Get his focus on this mystery that hinders Christ to have glory. See, Paul was so blessed in God's presence, he could not allow others to be bothered by his imprisonment. Paul was also so blessed in God's mystery that he could not allow his, his brothers to be, uh, allow others to be bothered by his imprisonment. Okay? And if we, <coughs> me, if we appropriate what's ours in Christ, we can overcome any problem on earth because that's how Paul Paul had problems. We think that we can't have problems. Well, if you're going to preach the gospel, you're going to have problems. Paul was stoned. He was left for dead. He was shipwrecked. He was, I mean, and in 1 Corinthians, he talks about all the things that he went through. Okay? And he called them light afflictions. We can overcome any problem on the earth if we know what we have in Christ. Okay? That's key. And that's what Paul is trying to, to, to allow us to know. Because if we have Christ in us, there's a lot, there's over 300 scriptures in the New Testament that tell us what we have in Christ. Okay, I, I did a teaching on this earlier in, early in the year, I'll probably do it again uh, soon. But we we have a lot of things in Christ. There's over 300 New, New Testament scriptures that talk about what we have in Christ. And where's Christ? In us! And we're going to be talking about this morning how we are filled with the fullness of God. Okay, we're getting there. So this is what we rehashed the last uh, two weeks on talking about, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family of heaven and earth is named. We also, in conclusion of this section of our study, we spent a little bit of time talking about him bowing his knee. And we looked at several scriptures, but I just want to highlight a couple of key ones for me, is that we are instructed to come and bow down to worship our King, to worship our God, to worship His Majesty. And scripture also prophesies, especially in the book of Philippians, that, and he's actually quoting from Isaiah, but scripture prophesies, every knee will bow to him and confess that he is Lord. Okay? So it's this that we, we talked about, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father, my Lord Jesus Christ. And then last week we came in and we, <clears throat> we began to start the prayer from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. We talked about this family again. Because this whole concept of the church as a body and the church as a family as a family keeps coming up in Paul's prayers. Okay? The church is it also we talk about how the church is a temple. 
because Paul, Paul highlighted this not highlighted this aspect of it in Ephesians chapter two, in between these two prayers. In Ephesians chapter two, he says, "Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone." Verse 21, and whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple. There's a growth, there's a maturity, okay, in the Lord, and whom also are being built together for a dwelling place of God. We are the dwelling place of God, but we are being built together as a dwelling place of God. We are the church of Jesus Christ. The church is not the building, we are the building as a unit, as plural. There's a pluralness in all of this. Uh, you you also are being built together. It's plural. It's not just singular. Are you is God inside you singular? Yes. But He's also we are the body of Christ. Okay. If you are the hand or you are the foot, praise God. But your foot or your hand is not going to do very much if we don't have the rest of the body. If you don't have the elbow, if you don't have the knee, if you don't have the other parts, you you can't do much just being a hand. Okay. Praise God, you're the hand. If I'm the elbow, my elbow can't do much without the hand. And my hand can't do anything without my elbow. I mean, God designed the body to, to I believe God designed the body to be an illustration of what the body of Christ is supposed to be like. Okay? Okay. The, the church is the body of Christ. We've been saying this over and over again. Why am I saying it over and over again? Because Paul is saying it over and over again. The church is the household of God. Okay? Christ himself is the chief cornerstone of this house. And on Christ, every structure is aligned perfectly. Okay? Once we start dissecting the house of God, it becomes imperfect. It, be it comes out of alignment. Okay? And it's ineffective in reaching our world. Okay? As believers, we are carefully joined together, just like Jeremiah says, we are fearfully wonderfully made. Physically speaking, as our physical body is fearfully and wonderfully made, and so is the body of Christ. It is also fearfully and wonderfully made by our Creator. Okay? Keep in mind, uh, Peter says, We are born again, not a corruptible seed, which is through Adam, but we are born again of an incorruptible, which is Christ. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, not of the corruptible seed through a natural body, but through a spiritual body, which is Christ. Okay? As believers, we are constantly growing. We are a constantly growing temple. We're growing. You know, one of the signs that you are still living and that you're not dying is that you're still growing. The, one of the signs that someone's on their deathbed is they stop eating. They can't keep any food down anymore. You know? And so, uh, we are growing. And I understand... Some people are growing in different shapes, shapes and sizes. I'm not talking about so much that. I'm just talking about healthy, maturity, growing. Okay? Some of us don't want to grow any taller or bigger, and I get that. Some of us do want to grow a few inches. But I'm, not, I'm just being silly right now. But just uh, at some point in time, we are growing. And we are growing as a body. Okay? We are growing from glory to glory, from faith to faith. Um, and so we are, we are growing. Okay? And, but we are a temple inhabited by God. We're not just an empty temple. We're not a ghost house. Okay? If you want to connect, even if you want to use the only ghost that's in this temple is the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> okay? And he's not spooky. Okay? 
But we are inhabited by God. We are his dwelling place. God lives here. Okay? We, I mean, this is awesome. <clears throat> what problem do you have that God who is in you can't handle? We need a revelation of this. We're trying to get God to do something. We're trying to get God to come, and he never left. He said, I'll never leave you, forsake you. We're trying to get God to come. He's not the one who left. We did. Okay? He's not the one stuck. We are. He had he had invited himself. He's standing at the door knocking. But he's not gonna he's not gonna force himself in. He's gonna let you open the door so that you can he can sup with you. He can have a relationship with you. And so you with him. Okay? The church building is not the house of God. Believers are the temple of God. COVID. All the things going on in the world, they can shut down our physical churches, but they can never church, shut down the church of God. Why? Because the church of God is a spiritual thing. What is born of flesh is flesh. What is born of spirit is spirit. And they cannot destroy, they cannot touch the spiritual church of God. They tried to kill all the apostles, and yet the, 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 the gospel thrived through persecution. I know that we don't like persecution, but actually the church is usually at its strongest when persecution is here. That's usually when the church is, it, it grows the most. Okay, I know, and Paul says in Psalm Timothy, anyone who desires to live godly will uh, suffer persecution. So if you're not suffering persecution, then perhaps you're not even desiring to live godly, according to the words of Paul. The church building is not the house of God. Believers are the temple of God. Okay? Paul prayed we would be granted spiritual strength by the Spirit. Many well-meaning Christians are living far short of what God wants them to be, and many well-meaning Christians are living far short of what they want themselves. I want to say this again. This is a key point that I'm trying to make, is that many well-meaning Christians, I'm not talking about, uh, there, there's, some, there's some kooks out there. But I'm talking about some well-meaning Christians. Many well are living far short of what God wants them to live and how God wants them to live. And many, many of those same well-meaning Christians are living far short of what they want to live themselves. They are discontent. They are dissatisfied. And I did a message last year about holy, a holy dissatisfaction. I'm not okay that we're not seeing the... I'm not, you know, all my life I've been frustrated in the sense that the God that I see in the Bible, the God I see in some of our churches is different. As a child, I didn't like that. Why? Because I read the Bible as a child, and what I saw going on in church and what I saw going on in the Bible were two different religions. I didn't like that. And I was like, why are we doing it different? Because God didn't change. He says he changes not. We change. Okay? And so, uh, I, I, I want, and I told God back in my high school days during my sophomore year, I said, Lord, I, either I'm going to do this genuinely and we're going to deal the real deal or we're not doing this at all. I am not here playing church. I'm not here to be a fake. I'm not here, I'm not here just going through the motions of doing church. I am not interested. I hate religion. 
And Christianity is not religion. It's a relationship with the living God. Okay? So, but, but uh, th even though this is true, what I just said, why is it true? Why is this so true? We talked about this last week. Many well-meaning Christians are trying to live for God instead of God living through them. That's the difference between religion and Christianity. Is that religion tries to live for their God or their deity, but in Christian, true Christianity is God living through them. That's how Christianity is designed to work. That's the only way Christianity works. If God's not living through his church, it's not Christianity, it's religion. Big difference. And it got quiet in this Presbyterian church. Okay? We are the body of Christ. And Christ is the head. We are the family of God. And God is our Father. The church is the household of God. And Christ is our cornerstone. Stop trying to live for God and allow His Spirit to live through you. The mystery of the gospel, the mystery of the kingdom is a seed. The mystery of the gospel, the mystery of the kingdom of God is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery of the gospel and the mystery of the kingdom is you are born of God. His life is flowing through your veins. You have been born again. Behold, all things have become new. You are born of God. And the key to Christian living is trusting God. The key to Christian living is is depending on God. The key to Christian living is resting in God. The key to all victory is depending on the spirit of the living God. Who And where is he? On the inside of you. Okay? So, going through this prayer that we went through last week, that he, we talked about how he would grant you according to the riches of the glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit and the other man. Those who are not born again can never be victorious because God is not dwelling in them. Unless God is dwelling in you, you cannot be victorious in this life. Okay? Even Christians will not experience victory apart from depending on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit might be in you, but if you are not trusting Him, if you are not yielding to Him, if you are not resting in Him, He's in you, but He just... He's not doing anything because you won't let him. Either he does the work or you do the work. It doesn't go both ways. Okay? He can be in you, but if you're not letting him live through you, then he can't do it because you are. Okay? All power for the believer originates from the Holy Spirit. Okay? Because Paul says, and he prays that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit. Where? Inside you. In the inner man. We also look at Corinthians where Paul said we have this treasure where? In earthen vessels. It's a treasure. And these earthen vessels that the excellence of God and the power may be of God and not of us. We are not the source of the power. We are vessels with holding that power. Okay? That power, we are, our body, our physical body, the body of Christ, <coughs> has that treasure inside. The, we are just a vessel. 
The power is not of it's not of us. It's of God, but it's inside of us. Is that making sense? It's not it's not of us. It's of God, but it's inside of us. Okay, and God has given every believer everything it takes to walk in victory. We, if you have God, and we're going to get into the fullness of God. If you have the fullness of God, if you have Jesus, if you have the Holy Spirit, how can you not walk in victory? What else do you need? If God's not enough, I hate to break it to you, but there's nothing better than God. Yes, there's principalities and powers, but you have the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of all spirits. I'm not afraid of other demonic spirits because I have the spirit of God and he trumps any other principality and power you can't get more than the fullness of God okay our spirits where where God has been upon all this power and glory is inside our flesh it's inside it's treasure it's like a seed it's like a seed in the soil. Our earthen, our flesh is like the soil. And in that soil is the seed of the kingdom of God. Jesus said it this way, the kingdom of God is not here and there. The kingdom of God is within you. We keep looking for God to do something, and we need to look in the mirror to see God. The word of God is a mirror. We keep looking outward. We keep looking at different things and words and prophecies. God has already prophesied. He's already told us, he, I have given you my spirit. I have given you Jesus. I have given you myself. He has made his abode. His, he has made your heart, your life, his dwelling place. God is not out there. We need to get a revelation that God is in here. We have this treasure and earthen vessels, but some of us keep putting a cork on it. We need to take the cork off and allow God to be God in us and through us. Instead of us trying to do it in the flesh and making a mess. Like Abraham did with Israel. Okay? Paul prays that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you're being rooted and grounded in love. Christ indwells in every believer at the moment of salvation. But Paul prayed that Christ may dwell. He's already dwelling in every believer, but why did Paul pray that God, Christ may dwell in your heart? Why did he pray may dwell in your heart? Why did Paul pray this? See, we talked about the heart real quick last, last week, that the heart, the inner man, is comprised of the soul and the spirit, and the spirit is definitely part of the heart, but our spirits are only a part of our heart. I'm going through this fast because I'm still recapping from last week. Okay? Sin, iniquity, and unbelief also comes from the heart, not our born-again spirits. We looked at a lot of scripture last week, but one of the ones we looked at was from Hebrews chapter 4, where it says the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit, and the joints of marrow and the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Only the Word of God can make a distinction, a division between the soul and the spirit. They're so linked together that it takes the Word of God to 
divide them, to make a distinction between the two. See, the heart and the man is, we need to believe with all of our hearts the word of God, and we are to have singleness of heart. We talked about this last week. And our hearts have two minds, two ways of thinking. Because we see from the from the same heart, from the same soul, we can believe God, but we can also sin. We can also commit iniquity. We can also do evil. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 17 that the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Okay, but Paul prayed that. That we would have the that the presence of Christ, which is already a reality in our spirit, to become a reality in our souls, the renewing of our minds. What's our soul? Our soul is our mind, will, and emotions. Okay, we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. Our spirit is where the presence of Christ already exists in reality, but we we want need it to become a reality. Not only in our spirits, which if we're born again, there already is a reality. But we also need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Hopefully this makes sense. We teach a lot of this when we talk about spirit, soul, and body. Which is the next verse I talked about right here. I just mentioned it. We know not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Metamorphic, where we are. Metamorphosis, where we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. This word renewing in the Greek means to renovate. We are transformed, metamorphosis, by the renovation of our minds, that we may prove what is that good and plus have. See, unless you read, <coughs> excuse me, unless you renew your minds, not only can you not be transformed, but you can't know the good, accessible, perfect will of God. Are you hearing me? If you don't renew your minds, you cannot know the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God for your life. Okay? Our mind must be renewed to who we are. And who are we? The body of Christ. The family of God. The household of God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are born of God. And everything I'm trying to convey, and I'm recapping from last week, is a matter of faith. How do we know this stuff? How do we know who we are in Christ? By the word of God. And we, where does faith come from? The Word of God. How do we just divide the spirit and the soul? By the Word of God. The Word of God teaches us what is true. And we, by faith, believe it. And that's where faith comes from. Okay, This is a matter of faith. That's why Paul says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love. We need the Christ loves our hearts through faith, and we've been talking about that a lot. I just did a series not too long ago about walking in the spirit of faith, or experiencing the spirit of faith. But love, love and faith go hand in hand. Paul said in Galatians that faith works by love. Okay? Actually, guys, I think believe it's Galatians 5-6. But faith works by love. And Paul, in the same sentence, yes, it's separated by a semicolon, but that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, being rooted and grounded in love. He didn't just change thoughts. He's still in the same thought. He didn't put a period here. And then he's going to have a phrase that's going to be added on here in verse 18. We'll look at that in just a moment. That's this week's lesson. See, most people want to see or feel something. 
And the results of faith will sometimes produce feelings. It's not the source of faith. It's not faith. But sometimes the results of faith will have produce a feeling. And sometimes the results of faith will produce something we see. Okay? See, when you have apples on an apple tree, the fruit is just the result of the apple tree. It's not the source. The roots, the seed in the apple tree, the sap, the, what's flowing through the veins of the branches is what makes the apples. <coughs> Excuse me. The seeing is not faith. Feelings are not faith. Now, faith may produce some things that we see and some things that we feel. But it's not faith. Am I making sense? Let's go back to Ephesians 3, verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you're being rooted and grounded in love. This is what we left last week. See, Paul did not describe a casual acquaintance with God's love. It's important that you're hearing this. Paul did not describe a casual acquaintance with God's love. Paul described an intimate understanding and experiential knowledge of the depths of God's love. Now that's a mouthful. I want to go back one slide real quick. Paul did not describe a casual acquaintance. We're not having a one-night stand with God. This is not just a fling. Okay? Paul is describing an intimate understanding and experiential knowledge. Of the depths of God's love. Paul doesn't want you just to know about God's love intellectually. God wants you to experience it intimately for yourself. I cannot experience God's love for you. I can't understand God's love for you. I can't experience it. I can't be intimate for God, with God for you. I can teach it to you. I can introduce you to him. I can create the, uh, the atmosphere with candlelights and everything, but you're going to have to have your own experience with God. Just as a tree's roots provide it with stability and nourishment, God's love is the foundation on which everything else we receive from God is built on. Those things, you know, people ask for prayer all the time. A lot of people on Facebook will ask for money. Some people will ask for wisdom. Some people will ask for healing. And everything we receive from God is built on the foundation of His love. If you don't believe God wants to heal you, provide for you, meet your needs, direct your life, bless your life, use you, then it's going to be a hard time to receive from God. Why? Because if you don't believe that God wants to heal you, you won't have faith in God healing you. If you don't believe God wants to provide you and bless, for, bless you, then you're not going to have faith. Faith works by love. If you're having a faith problem, chances are you're having a love problem. How do you fix faith? How do you fix unbelief? You need to know the love of God. You need to fall in love with Him again. I'm not talking about you loving God more. I'm talking about Him. And He's not going to love you. He already loves you more. He died for you. If He who gave us uh, did not withhold the Son, how will He not give us all things? 
You need to know his love. You can, unless you know God's love, you can't love him, you can't love yourself, and you can't love others the way you should. You can't do it. Because we're talking about love, we're talking about agape, and agape is a noun. It's not a feeling, it's not an emotion, it's not the five senses, it's, it's God is love. God is agape. And it's not something you feel, it's something that you receive. It's something you choose to do. See, God didn't just feel like loving us. God chose to love us. We make a choice. He loves us because he likes us. Okay? And he, God knows your, secret, your most secret thoughts. He knows every detail. He knows everything you've done and the motive of why you did it. And he still loves you. And yet, if some people in your life, your family found out what you've done and, and what you thought, and even the intent of why you did it and thought it, some people would desert you, but God won't. Some of you want to desert yourself and have suicide, double day, depression. People, there's a lot of people where they hate themselves. How do you fix all that? God's love. God's love. You know, I get people all the time saying, but Pastor, I know God loves me. I know that. Let's get to the deep stuff. By the fact that they said that, they don't know God's love. Because if they knew God's love, they would never have said that. You know, it's like a bag, a bag of potato chips. You can't just have one. And even if you use temperance and self-control to only have one, you still wanted another one. You might refrain yourself. You might have good uh, self-control. And you always strain yourself to only have one or one piece of chocolate, but you still want it from that boy. Okay? And so, when I say, when I talk about God's love, it's not like you just hear it once and you just move on to something else. It's the foundation, but it's, <coughs> it's so foundational that even you, you, you are not sick and tired of hearing it. You can't, you, I mean, anytime someone starts talking about God's love, you just want to pull up a chair and let's talk, we can talk about all the, all day until the cows come home. And we can talk about this all night until the cows get up in the morning. Okay? We, when you talk about, when you know and have, when you have experienced God's love, it, it never becomes boring. It never becomes outdated. It never becomes old. It becomes your very life. And for people to just say, I already know that. By them saying it that way, in that tone, in that connotation, they don't even know it yet. They have not tapped into the fullness of God. Because they would never have said that. Because everything is built on you knowing, being rooted and grounded and established in His love. Because when, when you, you know who your God is, when you know who your King, who's dwelling in you is, and how much He loves you, Whatever you need, you will receive by faith. Because you know that even, even on your worst day, even when you've committed sin and done horrible things, you know that God has forgiven you, and you know that he still loves you beside, beside what you've done. Because God blessing you is not based on you. God blessing you is based on him and his covenant that he has made with you. It's not based on you. If it was based on you... None of us would receive it. Because we are all disqualified. 
We all deserve hell. There is none righteous, no, not one. But we are the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. We are his beloved. And Paul prays, For this reason I now I, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. It's rich. So that he be so you to be strengthened with might through his spirit and your inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. And then he begins to expound on this, this, this being rooted and grounded in love. He begins to expound on it. I don't know what they call this, but there's this phrase here. It's almost like parentheses, okay? That you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints. There's that unity again. There's that body of Christ again, the family of God. What is the width and length and depth and height? When you know by faith the, 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 the God's love, there's a, there's a, see, God's love is not just one-dimensional. There's, there's multi-dimensions of God's love. And Paul wants you to comprehend with all the saints whether it's the width and the length and the depth and the height. Because he said, you may, even though it's available, if you, God, Paul is praying that we be so rooted and grounded and established in his love. Because you can't comprehend what all the saints if you don't know his love. You can't love one another. You can't even get along with one another without understanding his love for you. The church will never function because it's what, the church will devour itself if we don't understand his love. And if we don't get along, we cannot reach the world. Jesus said, I pray that they would be one as you and I are one, so that the world would know that you sent me. The, sometimes the world, in many ways, the world doesn't want anything to do with Christianity because the church is fighting. And we need to stop it. We're like siblings having a quarrel. And of all people on the planet, Christians should know how to forgive one another. And, you know, there was only one time when the disciples asked the Lord to increase our faith. There was only one time that the 12 disciples asked Jesus to increase their faith, and that was when he was talking about forgiveness. Andrew Womack says it takes more faith to forgive one another than it does to raise the dead. Some of us can never forgive one another because we don't understand his love. But we have more faith to raise the dead than we do to forgive one Because we are willing to try to raise the dead, most of us, than we are willing to forgive one another. Some of us won't even budge. Won't even entertain the conversation and the thought, the concept of getting along with one another. But we will consider doing something that we've never done before, raise the dead. And some of us would have a better chance of raising the dead than we would be to forgive one another or live in harmony with one another. And we do this by faith. And how does faith work? It works by love. Okay? Paul doesn't want us just to get this for ourselves. He wants us to get to us as the saints of the living God. 
Paul's praying, see, comprehension comes through being rooted and grounded in love. You can't comprehend it any other way. And understanding love opens the door to understanding our Father. Because God is love. You can't understand the Father without understanding love, and you can't understand love without understanding the Father. They are one and the same. Okay? That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted in the ground of love may be able to comprehend with all the saints, not just some, all, what is the width and length and depth and height. See, God wants everyone to know the full dimension of his love, not just me, but God also wants the person that you don't, you can't forgive to also understand this too. God wants everyone to know the full dimension. And me, as a pastor, I don't want to just know it and teach on it so I have a message on my Facebook page and YouTube channel. I want you to understand this. That's why I'm teaching it. See, God is love. And God speaks love. And those who only speak law don't understand what God's saying. Are you hearing me? <coughs> I want to say this again. And I'll keep saying this so I know you guys have heard it. God is love. God speaks love. And those who only speak law don't know what God's saying. Why? Because he's not speaking law. He's speaking love. And Ephesians 3 says that, he, again, that he prayed that we be rooted and grounded in love with all the saints. Whether it's a width and length and height and depth and height of his love. This phrase, these, these dashes, this phrase, he's expanding on this love. See, God's love is not one-dimensional. The full dimension of God's love can only be comprehended through the revelational knowledge of the Holy Spirit. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom the whole family of heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you may, that you may be rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints whether the width and length and depth and height. Verse 19. And to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, <coughs> Excuse me, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I mean, I, this is almost my second most favorite verse in all of Scripture. Yeah. My first one is 2 Corinthians 5, 3, 1. For he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteous God in Christ Jesus. See, the key to unlocking this mystery is understanding there are different kinds of knowledge. Experiential or intimate knowledge surpasses intellectual knowledge. Paul doesn't want you just to know these things intellectually. That doesn't mean we don't want you to know it intellectually. <laughs> you know, it's going to be a little hard to experience something you don't know intellectually to a certain degree. But experiencing something surpasses that. Okay? Experiencing God's love surpasses knowing about his love. See, a lot of you know about Sherry. But I'm the only one in this room and on this uh, that knows her experimentally and intimately. Okay. And my experience with her surpasses any of your knowledge about her. That makes sense? Okay. God wants everyone to know the fullness 
the full dimension of his love. God is love. God speaks love. And experiencing God surpasses knowing about God. See, the church is a family. And we are the family of God. God is our Father. And Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a loving relationship with our Father. And Christianity is a loving relationship with our family. You can't say you love God and hate his family. That's what John says. He, the, the truth of God is not in you. Okay? Experiencing God surpasses knowing about God. And Paul wants us to experience God. That's why he's praying in both of these prayers in Ephesians. That the eyes of our understanding will be enlightened that we know the hope of the calling. What is he called? He's called us to be a family. He's called us to know. He's called us into a loving relationship with our Father. And Paul wants us to experience his love. God's not so much concerned about how much you love him. God is concerned how much you know he loves you. Because you can't love him and love yourself and love others till you know how much he loves you. You know, if you know that you know that you know and experience God's love, you will love God and you will love yourself and you will love others the way you're supposed to. See, it's not so important that you love God. See, when you love somebody, you don't have to tell them to love them. You ever find two people in love? I mean, the love bird just bit. You, 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 you don't have to love one another. They can't help it. They think about it day and night. They dream about it. You can't pull them apart. They, they, they want to spend time together. You don't have to tell them to go on a date. They can't help but go on a date. And when they work and go to school and do their thing, they're, 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 they might be there, but they're not there. Where are they? They're in love. When someone's in love, you don't have to coach them. They just, they, they love. A parent with a child. A child with a parent, a grandparent, or whatever it might be. Love, you know, love doesn't need, true love doesn't need any motivational. It is motivation. And God wants you to experience his love so that you can do and be who God has ordained you to do and be as the church of Jesus Christ. As the sons and daughters of God. Individually and collectively. See, Paul's eternal, Paul says back in Ephesians chapter 3, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ, Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. We have access we have boldness and access to our Father because of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulation for you, which is your, your glory. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole <coughs> family in heaven and, and earth is named. Paul was so blessed in God's presence, he could not allow other people to be watered because he was in prison. He was so blessed with this mystery. And he was so blessed in God's love that he couldn't allow other people to be bothered by his own personal tribulation being in prison. Because what he was experiencing with God, even in jail, surpassed what he was going through in the flesh. Okay? To know the love of Christ with passive knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I just love this. 
How big is God? God didn't say he's just going to give you a little bit of him. He's going to give you his fullness. And if you have the provider, then you have provision. If you have the healer, you have healing. If you have need wisdom, but you have the God of wisdom. Whatever you need, he has given you his fullness. And if someone steals something from you, you can get it back. Or seven times more, because there's more where it comes from. He's your source. He's your God. And if you're doing an orphanage or whatever around the world, God has filled you with his fullness. And if Jesus can feed the multitudes with one boy's lunch, he can feed your whole village for a lifetime with whatever you got. I mean, when you know his love that surpasses knowledge, you can be filled with all the fullness of God. See, experiencing God surpasses knowing about God. And experiencing God causes us to be filled with all the fullness of God. You know, I love the amplified version because it says to be Feel overflowing with God Himself. It's overflowing. It's like a river overflowing its banks. But the fullness of God. See, experiencing God it leads to being filled with all the fullness of God. And if we are not full of God's fullness, then we are not experiencing God. Are you hearing me? If we are not full of God's fullness, then we are not experiencing God. God's love. God love is experiencing God. I misquote something there. God's love is something we experience. I want you to experience God. See, God's love is the key that unlocks everything God is. Because God is love. But he's also He's also Jehovah Jireh, our provider. He's also Jehovah Rapha, our healer. He's our banner. I went over the seven names, redemptive names of God earlier this year. He is our God. He's Jehovah. He's everything we need. He's our righteousness. And we are filled with God's fullness. And God is love. If a true revelation of God's love makes us filled with the fullness of God, not being full of God means there is a lack of understanding and experiencing, experiencing of God's love. If we don't understand and experience God's love, we are not going to be full of God. And we won't experience, our experience of God will be very limited, if at all. See, to know the love of God, love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. This, I want to look at this phrase real quick. Now to him. Now to who? To who? See, God is God who is love. This God who is love. That's what we've been talking about. Is that not the context? Is that not what Paul's been saying in verse 16, 17, 18, and 19? And then he goes right into verse 20. Now to him. To who? This God of love. Now to him who is love, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. See, there's this phrase, according to the power that works in us, and I want to highlight. 
See, no power working in us equals no manifestation of God's power. See, the point I'm trying to make is many Christians only quote half the verse. Many Christians quote this verse like this. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. But that's not what the verse said. The verse says that, comma, according to the power that works in us. Quoting only half the verse changes the entire meaning of the verse. <coughs> See, the point I'm trying to make is, it's not true that God will do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, period. That is not true. That is not scripture. That is not what Paul said. God has the power, but his fullness is in us. The mystery of the gospel, the mystery of the kingdom that we've been talking about over the last five weeks is Christ in you. God has a power, but this verse ties the use of his ability to the power that works in us. See, no power working in us equals no power of God flowing through us. <coughs> Remember how it said that many people are doing things for God instead of Him doing things through you. There's a difference. And God is not working for us. He's working through us. Let's go back to our prayer real quick here. Verse 7. This is Ephesians chapter 1, 17, excuse me. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. I went back to the first prayer that we talked about in the first two weeks. And verse 20 says, Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at the right hand of heavenly places. What power is working in us? Because Paul prayed that he would do exceedingly abundantly more above all that we ask or think according to his power that is not working in us. What power is working in us? I believe I, look, I see it from two different angles. The same power that raised Christ from the dead from the first prayer in Ephesians 1. And God's love, the fullness of God. That we just read about in Ephesians 3.19. Are you following me? What is the power that's working in us? The same power that raised Christ from the dead. And God's love, the fullness of God, that is in us. To me, these are not two different things. To me, this is the same thing. Because God is love. And what, what is not the greatest expression of God's love? But the cross. And him being raised from the dead. That is the greatest expression of God's love ever. And this power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, and the fullness of God, is working. It's not dead. We are the dwelling place of God. Do you think that, can you just, sometimes I have to stand back and, and, and see what this looks like. Did we not just spend a lot of time talking about how we are the house of God? The dwelling place of God? Is God just sleeping in there? 
I don't know about you, but I we live in our house a lot. We do everything. We do our business out of our home. We do a lot in our home. We're doing our church out of our home. We're not just here like couch potatoes. We are doing something. We are working. We are functioning. We eat. We sleep. We do things. But we live. We work. We, we move. And we have our being. And God, the fullness of God is in us. See, the, the fullness of God is not just in you so you can feel good. The, the fullness of God is in you because there's work to do. There's a job to do. There's a kingdom to run. The king, we are kings and priests to reign the earth. And the kingdom of God is not here and there. The kingdom of God is within us. And it's to my Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. Jesus said in the book of Luke. We have a kingdom to run. There's a lot of work to do in the kingdom. You think you have a lot of work to do in your house? You got a whole kingdom to run. And there's a power source. And when the lights go out because the power goes out, we can't get anything done. Okay? <coughs> but the same power. Not a different power. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is working. It's alive. I like the King James because it says it worketh. That if means it's still working. He already did it at the cross. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's alive. And this, the resurrection power of Christ is in you. The fullness of God is in you. Okay? For God so loved the world. <coughs> his love, his love is active. And Paul said earlier in the chapter that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of grace God had given to me by the effective working of his power. There's that power again. Paul is praying that God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power, his resurrected power, his fullness, that is at work in us. God made us the temple of his spirit. He made us the household of God. He made us the church, the family of God, the body of Christ, so that we can, so that he can work through us. Excuse me. We're not talking about him working in us. Him working through us. It reminds me of 2 Corinthians 1.20. That says, For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him amen. To the glory of God, I'm going to come back to that, through us. We always leave out this little phrase, in us or through us. But all the promises of God are yes. All the promises of God are amen. Where? In him. To the glory of God. Through us. All the promises of God. Give him glory. And how? Through us. His church. His body. His house. His temple. Paul said it this way in Ephesians 1. That we should be to the praise of his glory. Who first trust in Christ. We are the praise of his glory. 
And John, Jesus said, And whatever you ask in my, my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. We are, God is glorified when we ask. When he is glorified, when we ask. Jesus prayed in John 17, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will, who will believe in me through the word. That they, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. And that they all may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one. We, we've already tackled the, this this. This unity, but I want to I want to capitalize again on God has given us His glory. He glorified when we ask. We are the praise of His glory. He gave us His glory, and He also said in Ephesians chapter one, the first prayer that we talked about, that we pray that the eyes of our understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling. And what are the riches of his glory? We spent time on that, talking about it right now, right already. And Paul mentioned this phrase about how we are to know the riches of his glory. He mentions it three times in so far in scripture that we've seen in the study. Paul prayed that we would know the riches of his glory. And we keep saying from the Colossians that the mystery that was hidden from all the ages, from generation from all generations. But now has been revealed to his saints, to them God will to make known what are the riches of his glory. There's that phrase again. Of this mystery, among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The riches of his glory is Christ in us. And Christ in us is working to do exceedingly, abundantly, more than we can ask or imagine. Paul prayed back in Ephesians 3 that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit and inner man. The riches of his glory is our strength. It's our power. And Paul said, prayed here that he would do exceedingly abundantly with all that we ask or think according to his power, his presence, his glory, the resurrection of Christ, his Emma, is working. It's alive. If God was accomplishing His will without the power that works within us, everything would always be perfect. I want to slow down and hear. I want you to hear this. If God was accomplishing His will without the power that works within us, everything would always be perfect. Does God work without us? No, because God, if God was working without us. Everything in the world would be perfect, but it's not. Why is it not? Because we have the keys of the kingdom. We have his glory. We have his presence. We have his fullness. It's in us. He's standing at the door and knocking. And he doesn't, you know, we, we, we quote that from Revelation chapter 3. He stands at the door and knocks, and we use that to reach the world, the lost. But he wasn't standing at the door of the world. He was standing at the door of his church. And the, the seven churches, the, and the church in its worst condition, the church of Laodicea, they thought they were, they didn't need, they, 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 they were blind. They didn't know that they were naked and poor. And they needed something. And many people in the world, they, they think they need this and that. But you need God. 
whatever your need is, whatever your problem is, whatever the need is, whatever the, the calling is, you need Jesus. And if you have Jesus, you have enough. If you have the fullness of God, if you have Jesus, if you have the Spirit of God, if you have the fullness of God, you don't need anything else. You don't need anything else. You need Jesus. You need to know who and what you have. Because everything he's going to do for you and everything he's going to do in you and through you is through the power that is at work in you. But you're never going to turn on the power switch if you are still trying to get what you already have. Church, it's time for us to wake up. We limit what God can do through us because of our unbelief. We're still trying to get what he's already given. Many well-meaning Christians are living far short of what God wants them to be. And many Christians are living far short of what they want themselves. Why? Because they keep trying to live for God instead of God living through them. Jesus said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He's in you to be a witness of me. You already have him. Stop trying to get him. Stop trying to welcome him back. And you take off the scales off your eyes and see the hope of his glory, Christ in you. You'll be transformed when you behold his glory and not your glory in the mirror. I hope you're getting this. Paul said, "Why well, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it, the gospel, is the power of God. We're trying to get some uh, spiritual gift. and what I'm all for the gifts. Are we talking on the gifts? We believe in the gifts. The gifts are, are need to wake up. But the gifts are not the power. The gifts are to be a witness of Jesus. And we, the, you can't get anything more powerful than the gospel of Christ because the gospel of Christ is the power of God. How are we going to win the world through the gospel? There was a lot of wickedness going on in Paul's day. We're going to be looking at some very specific things that were happening in Ephesus. The church that we're talking about, there was the, the, the goddess Dinah going on. And Paul didn't deal with Dinah. He preached the gospel, and Dinah got shut down. And, and you know how Dinah got resurrected? Because churches... In modern day, began to have intercessory prayer, and they, through their intercessory prayer, they actually resurrected Dinah. That's something Paul did not do. That's something Paul did not teach. Paul didn't even give Dinah any attention. He gave Jesus all of his attention. All, he was not anointed by God to preach about Dinah. He was anointed by God to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. And Dinah shut up on her own. Is there a place to rebuke things? Yes. But not at the expense that we are magnifying the world, are magnifying something demonic, and instead of magnifying the gospel. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. I can resist something by not even giving their attention. You know how many people try to telemarket? 
me, I don't even listen to them. And when they call me on my business phone, I block them. They don't call, they can't call me again. I'm resisting them without even saying a word. I don't give them a time of day. Okay? But I am magnifying Jesus. The gospel is the power of God. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, you can't get anything more powerful than God than Christ. Christ is the power of God. To the Greeks, it's foolishness, but not to us. See, Paul says that the Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you may be rooted and grounded love. The gospel is the power of God. Whose mind the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe that the light of the gospel of the glory, there's that word glory again, of Christ, who is the image of God to shine on them. The gospel is a who. Dr. Seuss. The glory of Christ dwells in every believer at the moment of salvation. The church is a body. The church is a family. The church is a temple. The church is a in the household of God. And Jesus is the, the, the cornerstone. Okay? It's the whole building fitted and together grows into a holy temple. Being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. The church is the household of God. Sorry, I don't know why the screen's doing that. The connection is probably weak right now. But now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundant above all that we ask or, or think according to his power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I'm all, I know we're over time, but I'm wrapping this up, okay? Here's that word glory again. To him be glory in the church. See, God's power has no limits. God's power is only, is, is only restricted by what we say or think. But it says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church. He's in, he, where is he? He's in the church. This, this, this treasure is in these earthen vessels. That the excellence of this power uh, is of God and not of us. Paul exalted him who is able and Paul exalted him who is glorified in this church. He is able. I don't care what the need is. I don't care how impossible it is. He's able. There's nothing he can't do. There's nothing impossible for him who believes. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And what? It is the seeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the work of his mighty power. That this power is not external. The power is internal. Because we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power is of God, not us. God has given every believer everything it takes to walk in victory. Our spirits, where God has deposited all of his power, and glory is inside our flesh. The power is working according to the faith we exercise in the dwelling Savior. Many, well, many Christians are not living far short what God wants them to be and far short what they want to be. And why is this true? 
Because many well-meaning Christians are trying to live for God instead of God living through them. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you be rooted and grounded in love. This is a matter of faith. For Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. There's that in me again. And the life I wish now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. All these same words on here. In me, faith loved me and gave himself for me. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his inner man. Paul said it this way, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Paul says, now for him who is able, he is able. He is more than able. And he's going to do it according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church. He, he mentions this church over and over in both of these prayers. He concludes the first prayer with talking about the church. He concludes the second prayer in the same book, the same letter, talking about the glory being in the church by Christ Jesus. To all generations, there's no limit. It works in my generation, I've worked it works in former generations, and it will work in the next generation. Because Jesus is in every generation, forever and ever, so be it. Amen. This is the conclusion of talking about the second prayer of Paul in Ephesians chapter 3. Of the, of the four prayers we're talking about. And next week we're going to be starting to talk about Ephesians, excuse me, Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 and 11. And we'll start that one next week. We're talking about the four prayers of Paul. These four specific prayers that I'm trying to highlight. I don't know if this is just too deep or whatever's going on. I hope you get my heartbeat. But there's, I hope, more importantly, I hope you're hearing Paul and God's heartbeat in Paul's prayers is that we have this treasure. We have such a, the fullness of God. We have everything God is and who, His fullness. And we don't just have it so we can feel good. These are not just Christian cachets. We have something awesome. The world didn't give it and the world can't take it away. There's just so many. There's, we need to wake up to who we have and what we have. And we need to operate. There's work to do. There's people to be saved. There's miracles to be done. In his name. Through us. We're just a vessel. But we are a vessel. That's full. With power. Stop trying to get it. Stop trying to be superstitious and spiritual about it. Just receive it. Well, we'll see you tonight at 6 o'clock as we talk about effortless change. And uh, we'll see you on Wednesday night at 7 when we talk about leading authority. And we'll actually be talking about some things for Ephesus uh, this Wednesday night about uh, the Diana that, uh, and as it goes to, you know, the title of the chapter we're looking at on Wednesday nights right now is How Does Revival Come? And Paul brought revival to Ephesus, and it wasn't because he cast out Diana, it's because he preached the gospel. The church actually is the one that uh, through intercessory prayer resurrected Dinah uh, in modern times. Um, and when 
consider preaching the gospel. See, Paul never called us to go cast out demons and not and not and not, not to he told us to go preach the gospel. And so um, there's a time and place for casting out demons, but not at the expense of that not. But the power is not casting out demons. The power is preaching the gospel. There's nothing more powerful. If you get everyone coming to Jesus, following Jesus, all the demonic stuff will just stop. <laughs> you know, revivals have taken place in some communities where they actually had to close down all the prisons because there was no more prisoners. They've had, had revivals where they actually had to close hospitals because there was no one going to the hospital anymore. John G. Lake saw that happen. He emptied out hospitals. People are emptied out prisons, in a sense. And they, made, they converted some of these prisons into... Bible schools. Revival can happen. And I know we're in the last days and whatnot, but I'm not looking at God. And I believe there's a great revival coming before then if uh, Jesus comes again. And uh, But we have work to do. Persecution or no persecution. Let's do this, guys. Let's do it. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you in the next six.